This is Hops and Spirits Bar Conversations. Come for the craft beer, bourbon, whiskey, and great drinks. Stay for the conversations. Here's your host, Jonathan Green. Welcome into another edition of the Bar Conversations, and it's a landmark edition at that. We have hit the big 100. That's right, episode 100. You're listening to it right now, and it's a fun one. We talked to John Ingram. His debut album is out now as part of our conversations, and he has a cool story about uh, just his journey and uh, and everything and how his career has gone. And our tasting notes is, again, Spirits 101 with Jake Solick as we talk Brandy. That's right, cognac and all sorts of others. Uh, it's a lot to take in and a lot to learn. Uh, enjoy these Spirits 101. We'll be doing these all month long with Jake. Then we'll flip over to a few other different things throughout the summer as well. But let's not waste any more time and get into episode 100. Enjoy. It's almost time. Where did I, where, where did I put those? Here they are. <laughs> it's time for tasting notes. Back with us again here in June for Spirits 101 is none other than the Beverage Director Partner with the Professors LLC and a guy that I just love talking to, Jake Sullick. Welcome back. Thanks for having me, Jonathan. I appreciate it. Well, like I said, I, I appreciate you. We talked about gin in our Spirits 101 last week, along with vodka and some other grain-neutral spirits that kind of come out of that world, uh, so to speak. And now we're going to one I think is, is pretty fun because you know, we're, we live in Kentucky. We've got a couple of these producers here, and they're obviously around the world as well. And, and it's Brandy. So for those that don't know Brandy, what is it? And it's not the singer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Brandy, Brandy is the sort of overarching umbrella academy. In the same way that all Kentucky bourbon is a kind of whiskey, um, Brandy is the overarching category. So everything that we're going to be talking about today is going to fall into the general Brandy category. Brandy differs from other spirit categories because it's always made from fruit. That's, that's its defining characteristic. So in the same way, in the last time we talked about gin and vodka often being made from grain and how it works, brandy is going to be done the same way. You're going to take a lot of fruit, and that can be anything, let's say, for example, grapes or apples. They're going to be fermented. Uh, After fermentation happens, then they're going to be distilled. And that tends to be where it's separated, because whereas vodka and gin, the way that we know it, is always produced on column stills, a lot of brandies go back many hundreds of years and so they're made on an older kind style of still which is called a copper still Uh, i think probably the most famous brandy category in the world is going to be cognac cognac is named after the region in france where it's made and legally can only make cognac in cognac france like certain other categories like tequila and american whiskey the standards for cognac are really high so you can only use a specific kind of still. You always have to distill it twice. You always have to use direct heat. And then there's a very specific rating system for how cognac is blended. Those are the weird, seemingly arbitrary letters you'll see on a cognac bottle where you've got VS, VSOP, Napoleon, and then XO. Those categories refer to how old a cognac is. So for example, VS is gonna be a minimum of two years. That's gonna be the youngest spirit in the bottle. VSOP is going to be four, Napoleon is going to be six, and then XO, sometimes called Ordage, is always going to be 10 years or older. But there are a lot of other interesting brandy areas in France as well. You've got Armagnac to the south, which is going to be made with a different set of grapes, um, slightly different rules, but a similar product. To the north in Normandy, you're going to have Calvados, 
Calvados, instead of being made from grapes, is going to be made from pears and apples. And there's a lot of parallels between Calvados and some companies in the United States. Because when farmer settlers came from the old world to the new world, one of the first things we started doing was taking peaches and apples in the new world, fermenting them and distilling them and making brandy. So in fact, one of the, the first um, distillery license in the United States was granted to Laird's Company and in New Jersey, and they've been making apple brandy for over 300 years now. So you can kind of see how that transferred over time to different areas. But again, really all about the fruit. Brandies are often aged, but they don't have to be. Pisco is a wonderful brandy in South America. It's made in both Peru and Chile. Pisco is always unaged. Uh, it's made from very different grapes, uh, usually only one distillation, so the flavor profile is a little bit different, and it's not imported heavily into the United States yet. But again, all about, all about the fruit base. Uh, the Old World also has a tradition of doing other fruits and vegetables, which can be really fun. Um, they tend to be called eau de vies, which just means water of life. Uh, they're always unaged. But you can get really fun and find some really weird stuff, like a bell pepper eau de vie, a carrot eau de vie. These tend to be really small runs that just like a local farmer will do for you. But again, it always comes down to the fruit or vegetable that's, that's being fermented. I, I love that because as, as we get through this, well, I feel like we'll see how similar so many of these are in terms of just the processes and, and so forth. But like with brandy. For someone that maybe has never had one, what can they expect? I mean, obviously the fruit and stuff will, will determine a lot, but what are your, your typical kind of, uh, I guess, markers for, for a brandy? If you're, if you're talking about, let's say, something really traditional like a cognac or an armagnac, um, they're, all, they're generally always going to have a little bit of age on them, which is going to help round them out. But being a copper pot still product, they tend to have more esters. Esters are created during fermentation. They're something that distillers often look for. They tend to be very fruity. So when you're sipping a cognac, especially if you do it right next to an American whiskey, you can tell right away that it's gonna be fruit-based. You're gonna get a lot of fruit aromas, a lot of fruit flavors. Um, they tend to hold up really well against the oak. A lot of brandies aren't always done in new oak. If, they're, if it's not an American product, they're often done in used oak, so the oak's a little bit more subdued. So you get a lot of classic dried fruit flavors, which pair really well with the toffee and caramel flavors from the barrel. So the, the lessened amount of oak on the palate tends to be another indicator that, okay, we're probably dealing with a fine brandy rather than a really nice American whiskey. And, you know, for, for those that are, are, you know, looking for something, you know, when, when someone says, you know, I always laugh because now that I think of it, I'm like, boy, this would have been so smart of me and so easy to think of. You know, Applejack, that's apple brandy, correct? So, yeah. I mean, like little names like that that people may go afterwards, oh, that makes total sense. But to the, I guess, you know, person that uh, it's unknown, what are some things like that that are brandy related that people may not think of or, or realize what they are? Well, you're lucky in the United States because the way that we label everything here, it's always by the actual product and varietal. Unlike a lot of countries in Europe, France in particular, where you're labeling by region, you might not know what a cognac is, but here in the United States, you're certainly going to know what a brandy is. And, and we've got a lot of connections in this area, even in, in Kentucky. Heaven Hill owns Christian Brothers, um, which is out in California, and they make a wonderful bottled and bond 
brandy called Sacred Bond that you can actually buy here. So that's a great start into the brandy category. Uh, as I mentioned before, Laird's out of New Jersey does amazing apple brandy products, and they're always labeled as such. It'll always have apple brandy, and because we're dealing with the American laws on these kind of products, they'll say straight apple brandy. They do a bottled and bond apple brandy as well, as well as some single barrel apple brandies that have come out over the last two years, which is really fun. Um, of course, Copper and Kings um, in, in Kentucky make apple brandy in addition to their regular great brandy as well. But I, I would start with something from the United States just because the labeling is going to be a little bit clearer, um, I think, for most people. And, and you mentioned, you know, obviously there's apple brandy, grape brandy. Any other types that would most likely be seen on the brandy side um, on the shelves? Pear brandy is probably, I'd say, third most common. Uh, often unaged. Occasionally you'll see a producer make it. There are some American producers. There's a producer in Oregon that makes some really nice pear brandy. Uh, you see apricot brandy occasionally as well. Most of that comes over from Germany, Austria, and France. But apricot brandy is probably it's fairly common to find on shelves as well. Now you want to be careful with the brandy category. Brandy here, we're talking about a spirit. Often, especially when you're at a liquor store, you'll find what 100 years ago we called fruit brandies. Sounds like a misnomer because it is. Fruit brandy is short for fruit brandy liqueur. So that peach tree schnapps for $9.99 at your local liquor store, it may say peach brandy on it, but what that really means is that it's just a neutral alcohol spirit that's been flavored with peach. It's not actually distilled from peaches. So you have to be careful because brandy can sometimes just mean brandy liqueur. It's not the same thing as a product actually being made from fermented and distilled fruit. Yeah, two vastly different, different things. And, Very different. And, and I assume, too, you would see it on the proof point because I'm guessing brandies, if it's a bottle and bond, obviously it's 100, 100 proof, exactly. four years. I'm guessing brandy is going to be a lot stronger than, say, a brandy. Liqueur. Yeah, if it's under 80 proof, it's actually a liqueur product. It's not a true brandy. I, I love it. And, and it's so interesting, too, to learn about brandy because I feel like it's, in a weird way, kind of what some, some whiskey drinkers and others might, might really enjoy uh, on occasion. Absolutely. And Jake, I, I appreciate this as always. We talk gin, brandy, and now we're going to have a little fun and go to rum uh, next week. I, I thank you as always. Of course. Thanks. I'm looking forward to it. Remember to check out Hops and Spirits on social media at Hop Spirits, all one word, on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, and Twitter. You can also find Hops and Spirits on YouTube and at hopspirits.com. Joining us here on the Bar Conversations, he just released his debut solo album. It's out now. He's from Charleston, West Virginia. Please welcome in John Ingram. John, welcome. Hey, hey, good to be here. Thanks for having me, Jonathan. Well, I appreciate you being here. You know, I asked you what beforehand. I always like to ask if you've got a drink since it is Bar Conversations. You, you got anything good tonight? Uh, I am being pretty tame tonight. I've got the... Uh, seltzer it's not even flavored it's completely plain so i feel like i brought the most boring possible beverage i could find <laughs> <So>. <laughs> that's a, that's okay Sorry. i mean i, I just I, that you know it's okay I, i've got a little colorado whiskey little little breckenridge um I, I apparently didn't realize it was in my behind a bottle and i was like oh that's like full that'll be nice. a fun one to have tonight <laughs> yeah, yeah a little diamond in the rough 
exactly. Now I know you're behaving yourself this evening, but but if you, if you're not behaving yourself, what what are some of your favorite go to drinks? Well, I mean, I guess if I'm if I'm in a session, you know, I'm uh, like a, a drinking session. I'll probably be drinking, you know, Schwag beer, low ABV. If it's game day, or if I'm, uh, you know, I'm gonna have several. I'll probably do a Miller Light or something like that. But I do like good beer. I like IPAs and sours and uh, Kolsch's and things like that. But as far as whis- uh, liquor goes, I like brown. I like whiskey a lot. You know what I mean? And I love tequila. <laughs> So I really, I really like a lot of different things. I love like you know, like <laughs> gin in a uh, what was the what's the drink I just discovered? Um, uh, and I think it's Campari as well, um, a Negroni. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So I've just you know I like I like it all, man. Hey, nothing. Wrong I like with that. wine nothing a lot as that. well. So you're you're a man of many tastes. Yeah, I like to. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You can say that. Now, now you you know we we talk about you you, you know you you got a debut solo album out, but you also have kind of what I would call a day job or something kind of on those lines that keeps you in touch with a, a lot of things, and that's the mountain stage uh, production that that people might know about. But you actually got to go from behind to out front and not just out front to fill in, but out front to, to be the, the act. What was that like? Well, I mean, it was like a dream come true. I mean, first of all, I'm the, I'm an assistant producer with the show. So, you know, I'm in the office um, Monday through Friday working on, you know, behind the scenes stuff. And, um, and then I've subbed on the show, you know, and play bass in the house band, uh, quite a lot over the years. Um, but yeah, so this was the first time I ever, you know, was front and center downstage, you know, as a as a featured artist on the show, which is like it's just a dream come true because for years I've, you know, of course dreamt about that and um, wondered if that opportunity might ever present itself. So it was a pretty special moment when it when it finally did. I mean, were, were there any like jitters or anything like beforehand that almost you were like, "Whoa." Like, you know, just where it all set in. Well, what was scary was, you know, you I do typically get a little nervous, and I, I find that it's a good sign because it means mm-hmm. I'm focused. You know what I mean? I'm kind of, like, in there. Um, but I was getting a little worried because I wasn't getting very nervous leading up to the show. So David Bromberg was actually scheduled to be on the show and then had a COVID case in, in his band. So they, were, they canceled last minute. Um, so... You know, they had to pivot. It's a five-act show, you know what I mean? If, if you're not familiar with Mountain Stage, uh, there's five acts and a little over an a, a two-hour show, and then it gets, you know, reduced down and edited um, for radio broadcasts. But, um, yeah, so David Bromberg had to drop out, so they asked me if I could do it, which, you know, not the best circumstances, but I'm glad everybody in his camp is okay, but it worked out well. You know, we actually sold more tickets than we had to refund, which is always a good sign. So, um, but yeah, I mean, it, it, the, the nerves thing, I was getting a little worried cause I wasn't nervous the couple days leading up to the show. And then right before we went on, it hit me and I was like, Oh boy, there it is. So, but it, it all went well. The set went really well. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's just kind of surreal. I mean, you know, for 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 someone like you that that's kind of done music, played with a lot of different folks. 
when, when did you get into to music, like to, to play and things like that, you know, and, and not just kind of enjoy, enjoy listening to it? Well, so I guess, uh, you know, I was always around music, family, a lot of family musicians and uh, family players and stuff like that and church and, and just at home, you know, playing like kind of country and, and uh, bluegrass standards and stuff like that. Uh, a lot of Southern gospel. But um, I guess when I started to, uh, probably about eighth, eighth or ninth grade, I started to get into the bass versus, like I found, I found the bass kind of found me. Right. So the story is <laughs> I had two, which is a common story. I had two, two best friends and I was like, Hey guys, you know, I'm going to get an electric guitar. You know, we can, you know, jam and stuff. One of my best friends played the drums. The other best friend played guitar. So both of them kind of in unison were like, man, you should get a bass, you know, and then we'll start a band, you know? So I was like, okay, well that sounds great. <laughs> and that was about eighth grade. And then I really started to catch the bug, you know what I mean? And, and, just kind of like everything else was like, okay, no more uh, baseball, no more, uh, you know, video games and all that stuff. It was just kind of like music, music, music all the time. Um, and that was probably when I was like 15. I mean, did you ever think that you would then end up kind of turning it into a, a career? Kind of, yeah. I mean, I kind of, you know, was a a little bit of a, you know, I wasn't a great student, you know, I didn't care for school much. And a lot of the teachers, I don't think I hit it very well. And so a lot of the <laughs> teachers were, you'd be like, you know, you need to take care of this stuff because you might not be, you know, music might be a tough go. Cause I was always very, very clear that I wanted to do music, you know, probably more out of naivete than, uh, than, uh, you know, I don't know, stick it or whatever, but I, I, I kind of like the the attitude of being like, I'm going to prove you wrong, mm-hmm. you know, and that, that you can make a living and I'm going to just going to go for it blindly. So it's starting to pay off. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I was going to say, I mean, you you've played bass for the likes of, of some pretty, pretty solid folks. I mean, from Chuck Prophet to Vince Herman, so many others. You know, but now you're you've gone a different route. You know, uh, you you've gone solo. Why, why the switch now? I guess so to speak. Well, I mean, like I said, I really did fall in love with the like the bass, the function of the bass, and the role of the bass, um, and different players, and just the the sound and the technology, and so many different things about it. I just really it, it appealed to me. Um, so I love that part of what I do is to like support other people's music and make other people's music better and serve, serve their songs and, and, and their kind of agenda or whatever, and, and just provide that support. I love that. But, you know, after part, a big part of me, I've always written music. I've always, you know, um, geeked out on that stuff too. So, but I'd never really done... You know, I've done some EPs and and played with, of course, Fletcher's Grove, and I've written with that band and some other bands and stuff. But uh, I was like, you know, I want to do a record of my own. I've always kind of wanted to do it. Well, then, of course, I had time on my hands in 2020 and uh, <laughs> 2021 to kind of make it happen. So, silver linings. Well, I mean, and you mentioned you 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 are still out with some of the some of those groups playing with Fletcher's Grove recently, uh, you know, things like that. I mean. 
how does your solo music kind of differ from the bands that you you play with? Well, I'm writing all the stuff by myself as so far, you know, so obviously I you know, with those other bands, part of what makes it really cool is that everybody's kicking the ball around. You know, you might have somebody bring in a song or bring in the skeleton of a song and then kind of the arrangement starts to come together when you're kind of co-writing, you know, in a sense. Um, but with that, the the kind of downside of that is that things can get too democratic. And so, you know, productivity can kind of be a little slower, you know what I mean? Because everybody's like, well, what if we tried this? Or what if we did that? Or, or check this out, you know? And it's like very cool. And it's a very fun, like tight way to... to to, to compose but um, when it's just you I feel like you're just directly to the source you know what I mean and and there's obviously positives and and negatives to that as well but yeah with this particular situation it's I did one cover I did a Hartford cover on the CD um, but everything else is stuff that I wrote pretty much by myself so I mean, what did did you grow up on the, on this kind of music, or were you kind of uh, you know just a rock kid all the way through, or did you mention country too and and things like that? I mean, or just a whole bunch of uh, of songs that you would just love? Well, from a family perspective, it was a lot of country and southern gospel, and um, you know, kind of like yeah, you know, classical, you know, some folk rock stuff too, but. Um, and that was on my mom's side of the family, my dad's side of the family. Of course, he kind of got me into like Steely Dan and the Stones, and that was more of the, because his era, you know what I mean? <laughs> um, grew up through the 60s and 70s and the 80s and stuff, so it's like there's that that element too. But I I uh, was a big jazz head, and I mean, I still play a lot of jazz and went studied, studied in school, but kind of had an al- alternate personality going on, you know, as you're doing this like very... <laughs> Uh, kind of like academic and and heady, you know, disciplined thing. Not that the other doesn't require discipline, but you know what I'm saying. And then there's this other part of me that's like, mm-hmm. you know, the big deadhead, you know, uh, fish fan, you know, into like the kind of um, what and you know, obviously all the classics, the Beatles and Zeppelin, the Stones, and all that stuff. So, um. Yeah, I mean, I guess the short answer is yes. I've always been into this kind of stuff since I fell in love with music. But it's it's kind of like an interesting thing has happened with. It's like I kind of get that kid like feeling again when I'm when I'm playing this stuff, um, like you do kind of when you're in in a garage band in high school. So that never has gone away, really. <laughs> Well, I mean, like, you know, as you write or your pull, I mean, does this, because I mean, you know, we'll we'll talk a little bit about the album here in, in a little bit and just kind of how it, it came together. But I mean, like when you're writing stuff, are you pulling from experiences, ideas, and, and how does that go for you? And especially when you're kind of crafting the sound, because you kind of have a little bit of a unique spin on some things on, on this album. Yeah, uh, I mean, I think you can't really help if you're being true to your to yourself and just writing um, without. I don't know. You're gonna come out. Your experiences are gonna come out, whether you like it or not. I think. Even, I guess even probably, even if you're being disingenuous, 
I mean, your, your true self is going to be there somewhere. It's just by nature of the fact that you're creating something. Uh, but in this sense, I just try to be really open. I tried to be really kind of, um, open with my writing process. So yeah, there's some, there's some themes on the record about, uh, you know, kind of passage of time was, was a kind of a, a through line on the record and, and some stuff that, um, reconciling the past, kind of living in the present, uh, not, not living in the future either, you know, and, and then of course my family and travel and touring and stuff. So some of those themes do kind of come up just, you know, it's not like I tried to put them out there. It's just kind of what, it, kind of what came out, you know, it's just a second nature. It's, it's ingrained in you with everything you, you, you've been through, you know, what you, you've been in the industry for a while and you kind of work in it in a, in a different way too. What, what's your journey been like on, on all of this? I mean, you know, I just, uh, I've had a lot of great teachers and, and mentors and I've been really, really fortunate to play with people that were better than me and who let, who let me play along and, and I guess saw something in me and, um, good people. That's another thing. Of course, everybody in this business has had some bad experiences. I mean, it's like any job, but especially in the music industry, things can get squirrely fast. And I've, I've been really, really fortunate to play with folks and, and work with folks that are good people and honest and, and want, you know, good things for, you know, for folks. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's been an interesting career so far. I'm 37 now and, and I really hit the ground running. Um, you know, I did a few years of college and school and stuff like that. And, and, um, you know, basically just played the whole time, you know, I didn't, I didn't finish school because I was like, I'm playing, you know, I'm on the bandstand and, and that's where the real education comes from, in my opinion. So, um, yeah, I've just been really fortunate to play with great musicians and, you know. Well, is, is it weird for you too at times to kind of step out and be on, on this side where you're talking to me on, on a podcast about your music? Yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, I like it. I mean, I like to, it is like kind of weird, um, but it's a muscle that I need to work, I guess, if I'm going to do this kind of, uh, you know, thing. Uh, but I mean, that, that, that's, that's life. That's how things go. And, and, you know, when you were working on, on, on your debut album, what was that like for you, especially with that kind of the long break, obviously of not being able to play a whole lot, but also, I think you you did it in two two separate sessions, right? Basically, right. recording it and all that. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I've got a lot of experience in the studio. So, because as a bass player, as a sideman, you know, I've done a lot of sessions and um, a lot of recording, and I do a lot of recording at my house and and stuff like that. So, I've I I love that process, and so I take it really seriously, and I, and I you know been doing it for a long time. So, going like writing the songs is like one personality. And then you kind of have to learn the songs as another, you know, perform them, learn how to perform them. And that takes another kind of part of you, your, you know, your thing. So when going into the studio um, is comfortable. So, I mean, I, I, I'm grateful that I have that kind of thing going on. But then with the songwriting stuff, it's the confidence. I find the confidence in the songs, like, is this any good? You know what I mean? And, and this has really kind of like elucidated some of that 
um, that little critic, that little voice in your mind where it's like, is this total, you know, bullshit or is this any good? And are my buddies saying that it's good just because they're my buddies or, you know? And so that was been something I've been, you know, kind of dealing with, but it's like, not in an unhealthy way, but just, you know, that voice is going to be there. And then I, and then I see like interviews with, uh, Wynn Butler from Arcade Fire, some other people that I really love and they're dealing with it too. And so it's like, okay, well, I, this is no- normal then. So just fight through it and just put the stuff out there and, and make it for yourself and hope for the best. I mean, did you get any, you know, constructive criticism while working on this from, from your buddies? Yeah, they're they're pretty subjective, and I can take uh, or objective rather, and I can take criticism well. So I I don't take it personally when things are, um, you know, if somebody's like, I don't know, I don't think you need to do that here. You know, if I got some like cool thing that I'm like, oh, this is gonna be really neat, and they're like, ah, oh, it's just that's bass player shit. You know, don't do that. You know, just uh, <laughs> and I'm like, okay, yeah, you're probably right. That's uh, the voice of reason. So. Uh, but yeah, they're all, I mean, and again, I work with sweethearts. I work with good people. I've been lucky that way. And cause at this point in the game, I don't have to work with people who are, um, jerks. I mean, you know, I, you know, nobody really has to, but I've just been fortunate. Just like, you know, the people that I'm around are really good and nice and, and pure of heart. So, um, yeah, nobody's been like, you know mean about it (laughs) (laughs) which is good which is good because otherwise you you might have different conversations with them on on that um i I think i read where you said there there was some piece that you felt was missing as as a creative you know you needed this to serve your own original music with a creation of something like this what what kind of spurred that kind of feeling on well so what's kind of interesting is is i I did start working on this in like the winter of 2019. Like I, I had, the, I you know, I already knew I wanted to do the record. Obviously, I didn't know that the next two years were going to be like the way they were, but um, or three years or whatever. But uh, surprise, <laughs> yeah, exactly right. So, but what's interesting, you know, is uh, let's see, what was what was I getting at there? I kind of lost my train of thought with the. Um, Yeah, I'm sorry. You, I don't you were you were recording, looking in 2019, recording, and where did that kind of creative feeling that you oh right to kind of get your own music out? Yeah, so I mean, the, it was just that that feeling of like having that other personality that wasn't maybe getting as much attention over the years, um, like that bass player sideman, um, supportive role, which I love, but it took so much of the piece of pie of the pie. Right. And, and only a little bit of attention was going to this, like, well, I have something to say too, you know, and, and I like to write lyrics as well. And so there's these other things. And as a composer, I have, you know, things that I want to do, you know, musically. So I just felt like, why not, you know, do this now? There's no, there's no sense in not doing it. And I think part of it was, Part of what stopped me for a long time was like, well, you know, it's convenient to be a sideman because people often contact you and, mm-hmm. um, you know, you're not in charge of the, you know, tour managing as much and like and doing like the 
keeping the books together. You just get your paycheck and like, you know, you don't have to worry about the merch and you don't have, you just show up and play and it's really nice. Um, but, but yeah, I just kind of got to the point where I was like, you know, I'm going to do this and, uh, kind of exercise these demons a little bit. And then lo and behold, the world shut down and I had all this time on my hands. So I was able to write the rest of the record, um, the second half of the record and then record a little later. Uh, but yeah, man, really cool experience. I mean, and, and, you know, you know, obviously we're here to talk about your, your record too, that, that is out now. What, what can folks expect on, on your debut album, self-titled debut album? Well, it definitely has a folk rock bent to it, you know, um, some psychedelic kind of sixties, um, rock isms. Um, but yeah, it goes, it kind of goes in a few different directions. Um, you know, there's some hard, a couple harder rock tunes when that's almost in a, in a Nick Lowe new wave kind of Elvis Costello vein, which is here to stay. Um, you know, and, uh, same old game has a kind of a grateful dead, um, vibe, you know, uh, Palisades, I think I hate, you know, put too many close labels on them, but you know, when I'm, I'm not going to run from those influences, I just had to be honest about it because it is what it is. You know, Palisades definitely has like a Jimi Hendrix ballad vibe. Um, so yeah, I mean, uh, yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, I, I, that's I what you can the, expect. The, the Palisades. <laughs> you know that that's a that's a great great tune. I mean, was there like a song on there that you just love to play no matter how you're feeling? Or are uh, they all Mount- your kids and they're all your favorites? <laughs> well, that's a that's a nice thought and everything, but uh, there's things I like about my actual kids and there's things that I don't like about my actual kids. <laughs> I still love them, but <laughs> but yeah, I'd say to that. <laughs> No, but the, I'd say Little Mountain Mama it, live has been pretty fun because we've we've kind of stretched out the arrangement um, from what you hear on the record, so it kind of gets a little longer and jams pretty hard at the end. So live, that's pretty pretty killing. And you know, too, too, I also love the album cover art. How did that come about? Yeah, Jimbo Valentine did that. Uh, he's an artist out of Huntington, West Virginia. He's worked with a bunch of amazing artists like uh, you know Town Mountain and Tyler Childers, Arlo McKinley, and done um, done a lot of graphic d- design work here in the in the air- region, but nationally as well. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, and I knew you know whatever I gave to Jimbo, he, you know he was gonna put a lot of care into he's just a, got a lot of integrity that way it's not just a job you know he's gonna put some put some real energy and love into it so I gave him pretty much I gave him a few ideas of what I had in mind but like some elements but he really ran with it and um, I mean I couldn't be happier I think it's great uh, I, I love the art and it, it it I feel like it also works so well with, with what you put together on on your side of the art and and what's what's kind of inside the album cover and you know when you when you're getting to share your your music what's what's that like for you to actually get to play these songs and then obviously you know you're on tour kind of some solo stuff and some some band things too i mean it's it's cool man i love 
I love to sing and I love to kind of, you know, tell jokes from the mic and, uh, you know, be front and center. And so, so it's a really cool experience to get to do that and, uh, not worry about getting fired, you know, some, <laughs> some, <laughs> some other band leader may not uh, like be too into that, but since it's my gig, I can do and say what I want for the most part. Uh, um, so that's pretty cool. And, you know, playing, I, I know it's like a little weird because I don't have anybody else to fall back on um, to be like, all right, why don't you do one now? Or, you know, or somebody else in the band sing one. Of course, we might get to that point because everybody else in the band could, could easily do that, which is awesome. Um, but yeah, I've kind of like, all right, well, I'm gonna, I got to carry the show and, and be up here and uh, the whole time. You know, it's like full tilt boogie. I don't ever get to step back <laughs> in the shadows and just be the bass player. Yeah. Well, and and you 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 are on tour. Like I said, you're doing some solo stuff, some things like that. I mean, is that kind of the the hope for the rest of the year as well? Yeah. So Fletcher's Grove, we we have a, a we've had several gigs this month. We have a few uh, festivals next month, and just over the summer, we've got some nice festivals coming up. And uh, played with piano player Bob Thompson, who's from the Mountain Stage Band, and and a phenomenal jazz piano player, and. Um, so we we do we're doing some stuff this summer. I'm doing a big David Bowie tribute with uh, Kanika Moore from Doom Flamingo and a bunch of other great guests. So I'm I'm producing that. So we're getting geared up for that. But um, the hope is probably towards like the fall and winter, try to do a little bit more of the solo stuff um, and try to work some clubs and things. Uh, and it's all balancing it with my mountain stage schedule and and. Uh, all that stuff. So yeah, I mean, the hope is to, to go out and play this stuff as much as I can. Um, definitely. <laughs> Fingers crossed that everything stays safe. And, and as I wrap up, you can follow, follow John on Instagram and Ingram underscore base. He's also on Facebook. Find him, you know, Fletcher's Grove too. I guess anything else you're hoping for here in 2022? Uh, I'm hoping that there's no monkeypox outbreak that, uh, you know, <laughs> precludes me from going out and playing this material for, for real people in real actual venues. So we're getting back to it and, and it's, uh, it's exciting, you know, so, but now I'm just, thank you so much for having me on. It's been a great chat with you, man. Uh, John, I, I appreciate it. Thanks for sharing a little seltzer with me and, uh, and letting me have a little harder drink. <laughs> yeah, well, next time I'm, I'm going to come a little bit more prepared. 